Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. Next up, the Planet Microcap Showcase Vegas happening April 30 through May 2nd, 2024 at the Paris Hotel and Casino. Save that date. We are working our tails off behind the scenes to put together the best program we can. And the website is now live. So if you'd like to register to participate, please visit planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. Now, my guest on the show today is Chris Satterthwaite, Senior Analyst at Verdad Advisors. The team at Verdad put out a phenomenal weekly newsletter, and they recently published one titled The Death of Small Cap Equities? Question mark. And uh, we've been talking for a while here about all the various issues plaguing the small microcap space. And I wanted to invite on Chris to share the research that the Verdad team have uncovered. Thank you again for tuning into the Planet Microcap podcast. And please enjoy my interview with Chris Satterthwaite. Chris, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, love the content you're putting out on uh, the small microcap world. We're obviously big believers in the space, and they, despite our uh, article which we talked through, we uh, we are big believers in microcaps. So um, yeah, look forward to getting into it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I'm a, I subscribe to your to your newsletter. I get it. You know, every time you guys put it out, and uh, the one that we're going to be talking about today definitely stood out. So I it was great. I hit up Dan immediately because I he. He's hilarious, dude. I, I think we did an interview two year, two or three years ago where he was like, hey, man, anytime you want to talk microcaps, like this is my bread and butter. Like, I love it. And so I had when I when you see a title like the death of small cap equities, you know, that is just that's a podcaster's dream sexiness title that we have to, you know, hit each other up and and do what we do here. So here we are. Um, so, Chris. You know, let, let's dig into this to this article a little bit, because I think there's a lot of really interesting information. And just to be clear, you know, it's the death of small cap equities question mark, not not a full declarative statement for anybody that, uh, you know, we don't want that, you know, obviously. Right. But but let, let's dig into it. So, you know, my, my first question is, you know, just in general, you know, your your take on, you know, are we are we in this what what does the death of small cap equities mean to you? Let, let's start there. Yeah, so I think um, I've been around the small cap space for a while. And um, 
I think there has been an extended period of underperformance relative to large caps that is worth examining, you know, what's driving that. And there's, I think there's a bunch of different hypotheses. Is it something structural? Is it cyclical? Um, And I think for us as investors, it's uh, a question that we spend a lot of time thinking about and exploring. Um, And given that we're on, you know, the cusp of a pretty extended period of of underperformance here, I think we thought it'd be interesting. And we've heard this hypothesis that, um, you know, while small caps tend to be cheaper and deliver higher returns over a very long time period, that recently there's been, and recently being over the last 20 years, there's been a decline in the quality of small caps. And so we thought, you know, we've built this really kind of cool, exciting database that we can kind of use to do a lot of this research. And so one of the projects we decided to do early on was looking at this question of, has quality changed over time for small caps? How does that differ by sector? And then also how does that differ by geography? and some of the some of the analysis we found was uh, we'll we'll discuss in more detail today. But depending on the metrics you look at, and one of our favorite metrics is gross profit to assets as a, as an indicator of quality. Um, there has been a material decrease in the, the median gross profit to asset ratio over time. And we can get into kind of the nuances around why we use median and what that possibly means. Um, but there has been a decline in quality, which I think begs the question, you know what what do you do with that information? What's next? Do you decide to look in areas that have higher or improving quality? Does that mean that you just have to be more rigorous with your stock selection process within the US? I think those are all valid questions and people can kind of take different um, different approaches to our research. But in general, our big finding was that yes, there has been a decline in quality in small caps, especially in the US. Great launching point. So before we get into some of that data, I think we should clarify a little bit as to why you're using that metric as the main KPI that's telling you that there is a decline in quality. So again, that was gross profit to assets. I mean, you know, I'm sure some people listening are like, well, we know why this is. But for those that don't, maybe don't know why this metric is key to that, you know, love to hear more there. Yeah, so we, um, uh, part of our, a lot of the work we do is kind of coming up with we're kind of quantitative, quantumental. So we both look at both fundamentals at a quantitative level uh, investors. And so we're always looking at different um, quality metrics. And so some of the ones we might look at are ROA, ROE, so return on assets, return on equity, return on invested capital. Um, and we tend to look at how those variables uh, or those metrics predict returns over time. and I think by far our kind of most consistent and strongest predictor of returns um, from kind of a quality metric, so not looking at things like valuation or size or leverage, uh, tends to be gross profit to assets. So it's a metric that scales pretty well across industries. Um, most companies, and it's high enough up the in- income statement on the gross profit uh, line that most companies are profitable there, so you don't have to deal with a lot of sign changing. Um, and most companies have positive assets. So it's, it's, a, it's a metric that works pretty well across industries, um, and it tends to be very predictive of returns, which is why we like it. Very cool. All right, so then let's now dig into some of the, the data that you, you've found. You know, I think one of the things that stood out to me was that there has been this steady decline in quality 
uh, among small caps since the early 2010. So what would you say is it about the economic environment from that period to now that's resulted in some of those in, in, in those results? Yeah. So um, it's actually it's it's I think that's that's the central question of of this piece, which we don't address specifically in this piece is, you know, we, we make the observation, yes, there's been a decline in quality. There's some hypotheses for what might be driving that. Um, but then the natural follow on, uh, at least to us, which we'll have a piece on in, in the next couple of weeks is, um, you know, how, how is that like, what's driving that? And so I think there's a couple, there's a couple different hypotheses. One is, uh, you know, private equity as an asset class has grown and become much bigger. You know, as that's grown, um, higher quality companies are either staying private longer or being taken private. And so you have some selection bias in the small cap space where you have tend to have the companies that um, are not good enough to remain or not high quality enough to remain in a private portfolio or to be bought in a private portfolio. And therefore you have a little selection bias. So one hypothesis is that the emergence of, and growth of private equity is leading to some selection bias in terms of what goes public at a, at a smaller smaller stage. Um, the second is that the you know second hypothesis is that there is something structural that's changed about the profitability of small cap companies uh, in the U.S. specifically. Um, a third would be that it's cyclical and it's related to just where we are in the macroeconomic cycle. Um, you know, smaller companies, if they're earning higher cash flows, might be more inflation proof. And therefore, in a period of very low inflation, you would see perhaps less returns associated with those companies. Um, so that, th those are a couple, those are three hypotheses. Uh, another one would be, so, and then the fourth would be mixed shift. Is there a change in the mix of sectors? So is the small cap universe shifting towards lower profitable, profitable sectors like biotech? Um, and then finally, you know, is there a mixed shift in terms of the types of companies that are public? So are, is there a greater proliferation of newer entrants into the market that happen to be lower quality? Um, I think I have less of a good answer to the cyclical and structural um, answer uh, questions or hypotheses. I think there's definitely uh, on the private equity side, there's more active participation. So it's it's plausible that private equity is companies are staying private longer, especially higher quality ones. Um, but I think most, I think most immediately answerable is the question of mixed shift. And this will be, we'll have a longer piece on this, but it does seem that the primary driver of the decline in small caps is uh, the decline in quality of new entrants into the markets. And so we've done some analysis on this. You know, particularly in healthcare. Uh, so healthcare, that's excluding biotech and pharma. Uh, biotech and pharma on their own. And then uh, those are the, I'd say, two are the worst culprits of new entrants into the markets are coming in with, you know, incredibly low profitability on a gross profit to asset basis. Um, so I would say it's, it's primarily a mix shift, although within um, the small cap universe, when we looked at... Um, companies that have kind of remained in the in the small cap universe for a long time. So, you know, we and I can describe this analysis in a little more detail, but um, there has been a decline in quality 
even amongst those. And that's, I think, a bigger question. You know, it's more muted than when you look at it on an overall basis, including the new entrants. But there has been a decline just within the kind of core of the small cap universe uh, that we're not really seeing as much in the large cap space. So that's an open question. Absolutely. I mean, that everything that you just said kind of fits into some of the anecdotal evidence that I've seen that a number of my colleagues have seen or that I've even done interviews about over the last couple of years. And that's been the shift in mentality from where, you know, when you were, the dream has always been, I build my business to a point and I take it public. Like that was the the shining beacon. Like, wow, we just, we took our company public. Like that, what an accomplishment we did. And it seems that mentality has shifted now. Like, all right, well, I guess we're going to go public because we've exhausted all our other ways in which we can raise capital privately. I guess let's just do it. You know, like that's, that's something I just don't know how you change. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's a good question. Um, you know, I think the the requirements to be a public company are pretty high. Um, you know, it's if uh, I've talked to a lot of small cap management teams over the the course of my investing career, and um, I think when you're a small cap company in uh, the market competing, you know, you're competing for investors' dollars with the likes of really big companies and it can be really hard to get your story out there, especially when you've got, you know, flashy stocks like, um, I don't know, any of the meme stocks, like there's just a lot of competition for eyeballs on investable dollars. And so it can be really hard. Um, and I think if, if companies have easier opportunities to access capital, like through private markets, you know, uh, the pitch to be a public company is, um, is a tough one. hundred percent. But I mean, I think that kind of does speak to the structural issue right because you know one one big one point that you made in the article here was that um what was it where is it right here that it, the russell 2000 it's 16 percent of the index is made up of unprofitable biotechs which is an 11 percent increase since 2006 i mean there you go <laughs> i mean like bang like that yeah. that that kind of explains it all right there like the russell can't even like and that's with using their age-old criteria that's not even with any kind of adjustment that's just straight up 11 percent increase there you go yeah and i think if you you know if you look at the premium we spend a lot of time looking at um the ken french data library where he breaks out his kind of factor returns over time and so if you look at the historical premium associated with owning small stocks and value stocks um you know it's been it's been really significant and to the point where you could say you know these factor exposures there's something structural about them where the market is underappreciating um you know the ability of these companies to generate profits and uh, there's kind of an over there's too much pessimism surrounding these these types of stocks um but with the you know the index shifting to something like sixteen percent of it being unprofitable, and the mix of small cap stocks becoming more uh, more unprofitable, it does beg the question of you know if you include a quality factor in there, you know would that help explain some of the difference in return that we've seen the underperformance of of the small cap index? And we we think it we think that's a plausible explanation. Why do you think the Russell won't change their their um... Their criteria. I mean, I know that I know some people probably listening and be like, Bobby, like, what kind of dumb question is that? But like, I, you know, 
I don't no, know. I think, look, I think it's I think it's a totally reasonable question. Um, you know, the S and P mandates that you have to have positive net income or EPS over a certain time period. I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation to have of companies that are included in an index. I can't speak to why the Russell two thousand index doesn't doesn't include that. Um, but I think if um, over time, if you know, if the mix has shifted from five percent to sixteen percent unprofitable biotech and pharma, um, and by the way, like the the biotech and pharma space has has been annihilated over the last couple of years. Returns have been really have been really poor. Um, you know, I think eventually the performance of the index will probably um, force them to reconsider. But uh, yeah it's it's pretty heavily tilted towards some unprofitable industries which explains why the index is underperformed you know not not to jump around here but go I, I just thought of something going back to you know when we talk about the the environment and one of the reasons for why this has happened and talking about private equity as an uh, private equity as an asset class something has to change there and I think it already is starting to change a little bit in terms of the perception of you know private equity is now you know, getting money from private equity, all that kind of stuff. Because I think one thing that maybe some managers are starting to realize more and more is that if you think about going, yeah, okay, there is additional costs with going public earlier in your life cycle that maybe you didn't expect, you know, or that just you weren't prepared for. But in some ways, you almost have more control than if you are going to go the private equity route, you know, especially if you are able to retain, you know, if you do have a large ownership of your own business and you want to still do it that way in order to grow the business. I think, I think there might be a little bit of a shift happening there. I'm, I'm not sure if you're, I'm, I'm speaking kind of again, anecdotally. So let's hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Dan, Dan, um, I think Dan's the one here who probably has, uh, the most well thought out perspective on private equity, but what, what we can, what I can say is that, um, you know, the period in which private equities returns were the best were when they were buying companies at very cheap multiples It tended to be smaller than the companies they're buying now and also putting on less leverage. Uh, you know, maybe taking private equity capital has been a great deal for companies that otherwise would have been public over the last 5, 10, 15 years. I would say, you know, now the situations that a lot of portfolio companies are in in private equity portfolios is pretty different. You know, there's probably much higher interest interest costs that have to be covered. And I'm I do not envy being a CFO or a CEO at any private equity portfolio company right now. I'm sure it's quite tough. And so, you know, while the environment might have been great for the last 15 years, um, and maybe it's still attractive to take capital um, from a private equity firm, I think, uh, you know, Either it's going to become harder for the portfolio companies or it's going to become worse for the investors in the private equity funds. I don't know which one is going to happen first, but I would suspect that after you know, the sudden increase, increase in interest rates, um, companies will think twice about taking an investment from a private equity firm because that is expensive capital, even if it's been cheaper capital over the last 15 years. For sure. So now getting to the you know cyclicality of the markets, you know, and... While the title that we're talking about here today, you know, the, you know, the death of small cap equities question mark, you know, some contrarians are hearing that and being like, oh, great. 
this is this is great. Keep putting out content like this, man. Like I, I'm just gonna keep finding more and more deals out there. Like please, yeah, tell everybody how much small cap sucks. We love this, you know. But I mean, like we said, markets are cyclical. I personally don't think small caps are dead by any means. But you know, how long do you think this this period, I guess, of you know just I guess struggle um, or negative sentiment do you expect to, to continue for? Well, I think um, I think the question is pretty muddied by the percentage of unprofitable companies in the index. I mean, I think if you were to say, uh, you know, what does the forward return look like for the index as a whole, given how, so maybe to backtrack, you know, I, we, we are strong believers that to the big, a couple of the biggest determinants of your return looking forward are going to be your acquisition price, so the multiple you pay on entry. Um, uh, we think size and quality are two other important factors. So we think there's a greater dispersion of outcomes amongst smaller companies. Um, and so if you can carefully build a portfolio amongst smaller companies, we think you can do better. Uh, and additionally, we do think there's a premium you can earn for buying higher quality companies. So. Uh, the index as a whole today is comprised of more unprofitable companies than it used to. So given that fact that are also much more expensive, given the fact that they don't generate profits, you know, one of the ways we look at profitability is we look at um, EBITDA to EV, which is kind of the inverted of EV to EBITDA, but it allows us to capture on a similar scale um, companies that have negative EBITDA. And so when you look at you know, our small cap universe, the median profitability metric, um, EV to EBITDA, uh, if you include the unprofitable companies, is something closer to like 12 or 13 times. So it's actually quite expensive. But when you exclude the unprofitable companies, you know, it's trades at eight times, which is what we have in our article. So, um, you know, for the subset of profitable companies that are, you know, have decent quality metrics. So actually, we're quite we're quite optimistic about um, the prospects for those. And we think, you know, if you look at the markets like Japan, which are cheaper and have either higher or improving quality than the U.S. or Europe, which is you know either on par uh, in aggregate on on valuation with also more stable profitability metrics, we're pretty optimistic in both of those markets. And I think within the subset of profitable high quality US companies were pretty, pretty optimistic for small caps as a whole, including the unprofitable segment. I think, you know, it's hard to earn a good return when you're buying companies that generate no gross profit. Like it, it's really a coin flip on drug trials and outcomes, which at least from our seat is really hard for us to have any view on. And I think, um, just the expected return for that, that those types of companies is not good. Very good. You know, one thing I also wanted to bring up in the article that you mentioned how in this one line, you said that the trend is in declining quality is most evident in the United States. But when we look at Japanese or European markets, we see much more stable or even increasing signs of quality among both large and small caps. Japan in particular has had stable gross profit to assets and impressively increasing ROAs over a similar period of time. That that was an interesting find. You know, yeah, no, it was. I think the most the most interesting fact. I mean, when we saw so when we when we saw this declining quality trend in the U.S., the question, our next question was, you know, is that something that's happening 
overseas as well, because in that case, it might suggest it is something structural. Um, and what we found, at least in Japan, was that actually it's been the opposite. Small caps have had in, in, improving quality metrics. Um, you know, the caveat being when we started the analysis, when we start the analysis in, is important. And the Japanese markets in the early 2000s were not in a great spot relative to the US. Uh, and so there's just been a bit of a reversal in the trend. You know, Japanese stocks have been improving while the US stocks have been declining. Uh, but in general, we're really excited about Japan. You know, it's obviously had a great run, but the quality metrics are really solid. Um, the, you know, Japan is cheap on just about every metric you can, every, any, any valuation metric you want to pick. Um, and not only that, but we've also looked at it across sectors. And in pretty much every sector, Japan is very cheap. It's not concentrated in any one sector. So, you know, that's a market that, you know, just given our focus on valuation, quality, and size, um, we're very, we're, yeah, we're very excited about. Why do you mention that? Because uh, we've actually, I've, we've been doing a lot of content covering Japanese micro. I just, I just time. watched one of your last, one of your last podcasts on it. Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh yeah. David yeah. was really good. He, uh, we're, we're actually, I think going to be doing a panel in Vegas um, with like his, their top tier picks um, oh, nice. of Japanese microcaps, so that should be super interesting. Um, we're gonna get the translators. We're gonna we're gonna make it. We're gonna make it happen. We're gonna figure it out. You know. Awesome. <laughs> but but um, again, to follow up on the the markets are cyclical aspect of this, you know, and what would you say are some of the data points or KPIs that would signal a change in sentiment in small cap equities in the United States? Because that's clearly what we're talking about. It's like the U.S. is the yep. problem. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, so, so there's, there's a couple, there's, I'd say there's kind of like the fundamental, there's kind of fundamental metrics that we would look for. Um, and then I think there's some kind of more technical ones. And I think on the fundamental side, um, within the basket of, I will say, you know, profitable kind of core equities, uh, within the small cap universe. So those that are not like recent entrants, um, you know, there we'll look for, you know, revenue growth has actually been quite solid. So I think that was one area where we were kind of surprised to see small caps and large caps, kind of the median revenue growth is right on top of each other, but there has been this divergence in profitability. So whether that's related to, you know, a harder time absorbing some of the inflationary costs that large caps maybe have more pricing power and are able to do, I think one thing we would look for is kind of improving profitability in that small cap segment. Um, but another important one is, um, you know, there's been very little in the way of positive inflows into small cap equities. Um, and I think that's a pretty important barometer for a shift in sentiment is seeing positive inflows, which we haven't seen in a while. So in the meantime, we're happy to own really cheap businesses at really attractive free cash flow yields, great dividend yields. Um, but, you know, so we're kind of biding our time owning high quality, low cost businesses where we get paid something to own them um, until we think that the uh, the sentiment's starting to change. So let, let's talk about maybe some of the sectors that are interesting to you guys right now. Are you like uh, quite a few other buy side managers that I've talked to that are putting together a little healthcare biotech basket strategy uh, as we speak or uh, anything else interesting? So not healthcare and biotech. And while you're, uh, while you're speaking, I just want to, um, I'm going to pull up our, uh, our kind of cuts by sector to see um, 
thought that would give I thought that would give you a, I thought that would give you a good laugh because I mean it's it, it it's interesting. There's quite a few guys right now that I've I've just had meetings with in the last like month that are like Bobby, can you like not talk about this like too much on your pod right now? Like we're all kind of you know we got a, we got the strategy going on for us. We're hoping nobody else is kind of looking. You know, yeah. uh, I'm like. Don't worry, you guys are the only ones. Trust me. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no. So I think the things the things that we're excited about. So I, I think, uh, in addition to the kind of biotech pharma, um, you know, concentration of unprofitable companies, there's there's two other sectors specifically within small caps that have seen um, a really significant deterioration in in kind of quality or our gross profit to asset ratio. So the other one would be would be healthcare, which we which we talked about. And that's also coincidentally where you've seen a lot of private equity activity. So private equity, I think relatively is most exposed to tech and healthcare, which are the two sectors within the small cap universe where we do see the greatest deterioration in quality. So healthcare and tech um, those tend to be some of the more expensive, lower quality sectors. So that's where we're spending less of our time. Uh, I think uh, the ones that we are more excited about, energy for a while has had you know really attractive um, profitability ratios. You know, you are obviously dealing with coming off of some COVID peaks, so there's some some gives and takes there. But um, consumer staples and industrials are two others where um, we think the valuations have been pretty pretty reasonable and the quality metrics are much more stable. So um, I'd say maybe it's worth um, just pausing on one note, which is, you know, given the title of the article, the death of small cap, you know, has, is it, is it the death of small cap equities question mark? Um, I think, I think one thing that um, is hopefully uh, a point of solace to some of your listeners would be, Given that the the aggregate quality of the index has deteriorated and there's a greater proliferation of unprofitable companies, I think it actually the the takeaway is not that oh, you know, investing in small cap cap equities is now a loser's game and it's it's you know the the quality the deterioration in quality is kind of the foregone conclusion that you're going to earn poor returns. Uh, I think this actually it. It's now more important than ever to be really diligent about the portfolio of small cap companies that you're putting together. And you know, it's not sufficient to just buy the Russell 2000 index given the change in the composition of it. You know, it is important to now spend the time to find high quality, underappreciated, underfollowed businesses that are trading at cheap valuations. Um, because there is now like real dispersion in the quality of the index. Um, you know, it's not just all the same homogenous small cap companies. Like there is real differentiation. And I think taking the time to build a portfolio of companies on the higher quality, cheaper side of that, um, of that, that universe is actually going to be really additive. I think that I think we just covered. I'm, geez, what a what a nice little stamp on it all right there. So, I mean, final thoughts. I guess you know I, we covered quite a bit with this article. I'm excited to read the follow up where we get into you know the some of the you know what 
some of the reasons for why, you know, we kind of went into it earlier on in the interview, but, you know, final, final thoughts, you know, on the death of small cap equities question mark and, <laughs> you know, how we should think about that maybe going into 2024. Yeah, I think, um, I think this, you know, 2023 in part has been defined by, and maybe, I mean, this is probably true for the last, um, I don't know, 10 years or so, but extreme concentration of returns in a handful of stocks. So some of the mega cap stocks have dominated the headlines. They've also given their size dominated returns. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's worth asking is that, it, that that's a really interesting phenomenon that's kind of new. Um, and so it's worth exploring is, is, is there something structural that's changed about the concentration of returns in market? Is there any value to being uh, a small cap investor given the change in composition? And we think there absolutely is, but the answer is not buying an index, setting it and forgetting it given the change in quality. We think the answer is, you know, you gotta go to where the companies are cheaper, higher quality, undercovered, you know, underfollowed, you know, where can you find the diamond in the rough, so to speak? And we think the places we see that right now are primarily outside of the U.S. And then within the U.S., it's of the companies that are making money right now. It's not in biotech, not in pharma, really not in healthcare, and not in tech within the small cap universe. Large caps are a little bit different. So um, that's where we're spending our time and doing more research. Uh, and yeah, we're excited to share some updates and I would be happy to talk about it anytime again. Very cool. Well, Chris, with that, where can our audience go and follow you, Verdad, as well as subscribe to the Verdad letter? Yep. So uh, our uh, website, verdadcap.com, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter there. Every Monday, we send out an update on research we've been working on. Um, it's a great chance for us to share um, share what we're, we've been researching. We always get great feedback from the newsletter. Uh, and a lot of our kind of follow-up topics come from people, readers, just sending up, sending follow-up questions. And when we kind of have clearly hit a nerve on something, which this piece did, you know, we'd love to dig in a little deeper. So redadcap.com is a great place to go and find, find our research and subscribe to the newsletter. Very cool. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I truly look forward to our next update. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast podcast.